Occasionally, uh, when I have uh, performed a wedding, uh, there has been a wedding planner. And the wedding planner has helped the couple put together everything uh, for that day, the color of the napkins, the the, the meal, uh, the, where people are, where what, everything that's happened, they help plan all of that. And, uh, you know, you can, you can even get people who will do Christmas planning event for you, too. They'll do your house up. They'll run your parties for you. They'll, all, the, all of this kind of thing. It's, it's, it's interesting to know uh, and to see uh, how these planners, these event planners work and oversee all these details. And uh, I got thinking about that, and I, I, I got thinking that the greatest event that has ever happened is what I want to call the Christ event. And the Christ event is when God brought into play the, the human drama of bringing his son into this world and, um, <clears throat> and, and to live his life and to do what he did and, and to take him back uh, to glory. So this, this Christ event is central to all of his. It's the focal point of all of history. And it, it's the center of who we are and what we do. And as I was thinking about how crucial and how central this is, I was thinking about uh, what the Apostle Paul says in Colossians chapter 1. As he talks about the Son of God, Jesus. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created for him, for, uh, by, by him, through him. And everything has been created for him. Everything is for his glory. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he's the head of the body, the church. And he's the beginning and firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on a cross. That is the Christ event that, that Jesus came, that God the Son came, that the Creator came. Everything that you see, he created. It was through him, and it was for him. The purpose was for him. And, and, and so here we are with the greatest event going. And I thought, well, you know, this great event, really the greatest event planner was God the Father. And, and this morning, I want to look at this, this a little bit with you. So this, this great Christ event uh, has all been planned by the Father. And it's marked in terms of the human drama, beginning with Christmas, the coming of God's Son. And uh, if Jesus is the greatest uh, event his coming, then God the Father is, without a doubt, the, the greatest event planner. And what I want to do this morning for you is, 
help to walk through a little bit of what God did in planning for Christmas. Uh, Anybody still have some plans you need to make in the next 10 days? I think there's some. some. And and, uh, God's plan, we're going to start with that, and and we're going to take time to look at what he did. Now, piggybacking on last week, the reason we have Christmas, we learned last night. What was, the, what was the need for Christmas? Why Christmas? Why this, for some, many people, this imposition of everything that we have to do for Christmas, uh, whether we are a people of faith or not, um, there are just a lot of expectations on us. <clears throat> and uh, we learned last week that it was the rebellion of humankind against their maker, seduced by uh, the serpent, uh, that w- rebellion of God would plunge them into judgment. Our relationship with God was destroyed because of sin, and we were helplessly and hopelessly broken, as was our world. And we took time to enumerate some of the, the different ways that living in this sin-cursed world uh, is uh, like. Uh, the violence and hatred in our world, the sickness and disease and abuse, Uh, the terrible things that we do to each other, and and to cap it all off is death, that we die. And and God looked at us and pitied us in in our helpless estate, And, and he loved us in spite of what we did, and he made a way for us to come back to him, that he could accept us. We learned that Christmas was the response to the brokenness of sin and degradation. Uh, we learned that, sick, uh, that, that Christmas is God's expression of love to us. And this morning I want to show you how God is our sovereign event planner. And um, that plan that we look back 2,000 years ago to the coming of Christ, uh, he enacted everything right to a T for that. In fact, the Apostle Paul would say this about it in Galatians chapter 4. He said, When the set time had fully come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. He said this, When the the time had fully come, when it was ripe, when it was just the right time, you know what God didn't do? He didn't send out a save-the-date note. He didn't tell us when, what, what was going to happen was going to happen exactly. And, and, and so we look at this and we, we see that God did have it. And when Jesus was born, he was born exactly when God wanted him to be born. And everything that leading up to that, he would take care of. And so we want to run through a number of scriptures this morning and uh, we want to see uh, the unfolding of God's plan in the Christ event. And, and I think you will, with me, marvel at God's genius, his wisdom, his power, and uh, the unfolding of his plan in love. So we'll start at the beginning. As we did last week, we talked about what went wrong. In Gen- we were looking at Genesis chapter 3. We saw the seduction of the woman uh, getting things messed up and the serpent telling her lies about God and she 
plunges in, takes the fruit, gives it to her husband, and everything changes at that point. This terrible failure brought about devastation in the planet in, in every way for people, for weather, for animals. Everything was touched by that. But there was a note of hopefulness in the midst of this. God was judging. He, he judged the man. He judged the woman. He judged the serpent. And uh, in his judgment of the serpent, um, he, he shows us something of his plan. The serpent was cursed, and on his belly he would go, and he would eat dust. That's a picture of defeat and humiliation, that he's crawling on the ground, eating dust, if you will. And um, God said uh, this in Galatians chapter uh, 3 about the seed of the woman. He said this, I'm going to put enmity between you, the serpent, and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. And her offspring, somebody in her offspring, is going to crush your head. In other words, he's going to deal a fatal blow to you. Crush the head. Annihilate. But you will strike his heel. You're going to bring pain to him, but it's not going to be, it's not going to be a, a, a fatal blow. It, it, it'll, be, it'll bring pain. Now, I, I can't imagine what they were thinking. Like, what, what is this? Um, the woman, we, we, we now find ourselves on the outside of the garden, and God said, sometime the one that propagated all of this stuff, we're going to deal with him. And one of the offspring of the woman is going to crush the head of the serpent. We don't even know who the serpent, we don't even know till the New Testament that the serpent is Satan. We find that actually in Revelation too, that that serpent was the devil himself. And he's going to be defeated. He's going to be crushed by a seed of the woman. But they don't know that that's Satan. They don't know who this person is. They just have a promise that the person, that the one, the, the personality that brought about all of this devastation and, and led them to sin uh, is going to be fully and finally dealt with. That's what they're left with. So as we keep going on, uh, he's going to strike a death blow. Um, and, and he's going to start and try and connect the dots with us so that as we go from different scriptures, passages in the Old Testament, we're going to have these predictions of what God is going to do. Um, but there will be a future annihilation of the perpetrator of all of this brokenness, Satan. Uh, we move ahead uh, to Abraham. A promise is made to Abraham. This happens now sometime uh, after. In the interim, a lot of terrible things have happened. In, we said last week in the first family, here is Cain and Abel, these two brothers, worshiping God. And when one uh, does, worships in a way that God doesn't approve of. And instead of repenting and, and seeking to please God, uh, this, this guy lures his brother out into a field and murders him. Cold-blooded murder. Well, things didn't get better as you read the early chapters of Genesis. 
we find that, there, that the wickedness had so proliferated on the face of the earth that God had to judge it with a global flood and wipe out everyone and start over again with uh, Noah and his wife and his three sons and their wives. And, and so we now have a new start in life. And uh, so they begin to fill the earth. And you remember God said, fill the earth, uh, spread out, and uh, they defied God. They said, no, we're going to build ourselves a tower that goes to heaven. We're going to exalt ourselves. Um, and we're not going to spread out on the earth. We're going to stay and do our thing. And so God, again, had to judge them. And that's where he confounded them with uh, language. That's where all the languages happen. Now I can't speak to the guy beside me. I've got to find somebody who can speak the same language. And now people begin to branch out. So what we've got is failure, failure, failure. And when you think, well, where's, where's this offspring of the woman that's going to do what needs to be done to get rid of all of this wickedness? And so we come to a guy by the name of Abram who lives in Ur of the Chaldees. And, and God calls him and invites him to come uh, to leave his land says, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, go from your people and your father's household to the land I'll show you. He didn't tell him where he was going to. He said, I just want you to go. I'll lead you. Just go, go, go. And so as he goes, God made a promise with this guy. This guy had been, he wasn't a person of God. He wasn't a worshiper of God. God chose him and selected him through whom he would... Uh, as he said, I'll make you into a great nation. And I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to make your name great. And you're going to be a blessing. And I'll bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And then he said this. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Wow. What does God have in mind? What is he going to do? And in fact, in the next 12 chapters, six times... It appears I'm going to bring blessing to the whole world through you. Blessing to the whole world. Um, all the people on the earth will be blessed by you. And so this worldwide curse that has touched everybody across the planet will also be corrected in a worldwide way. He would pour out blessing and, and do something wonderful for all the nations of the earth, all the peoples of the earth. And it was going to come through a chosen race of people. How? Who? What? Where? We're not told. We just know that through Abraham, through his seed, through some offspring of his, we've narrowed it down to all humanity, to a nation. And, um, and he will, through that nation, will bring blessing on the whole earth. Somebody from that nation is, uh, is going to bring blessing. Well, 400 years pass, and now we have really the beginning of a, a nation. Uh, we've got a people of God who are now in, uh, in Egypt. And here in Egypt, where they were... Were, were blessed, God grew them to, uh, into a nation. And when, Joseph, when, when Jacob, the patriarch, 
whose name was changed to uh, Israel, the children of Israel, when he was blessing his sons before, uh, before he was passing away, um, we find out that there's a ruler and he's going to come from the tribe of Judah. And so in the midst of this, in uh, Genesis 49, we read, the scepter will not depart from Judah. Of those 12 sons, it was Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until he whom it belongs shall come and the obedience of the nations shall be his. The ruler's going to come from a family, but within that family, it'll be one of those tribes. And, uh, and that one will come from the tribe of Judah. Well, that's great. But it unfolds for us even more as we move ahead. There's going to be this eternal king, and he's going to come from the family of David. David uh, loved the Lord. He was chosen to be the king. And he followed the Lord uh, most of his life. He had some mess-ups, but he followed the Lord. And David had a heart for God. And he said, what I want to do is, uh, he said, I'm living in a palace. And God was still living, so to speak, the ta- in the tabernacle, which was a tent. And he thought, I'm living in this incredible building, this palace that I have, and God is in a tent, and it seems so wrong. And so I want to build a house for God. I want to build a temple for him. And um, the prophet Nathan said, okay, you you go ahead and do it. It sounded like a good thing to him, but God spoke to Nathan that night and said, no, he's not to do it, somebody else. And, And here's what God said to David in 2 Samuel 7. The Lord declares that the Lord himself will establish a house for David. David said, I want to build a house for you, Lord. And God says, no, I'm going to build a house for you. What what does he mean by that? When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you and your own flesh and blood. And I will establish his kingdom. And he is the one who will build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of of his kingdom forever. Now it's down, uh, not just to a tribe, but to a specific family and a specific person. And it was David. And it's interesting. Here are the first words when we get into the New Testament. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David. It was important that as the Jews understood that, he was the son of David, he was the son of Abraham. Are you starting to put the the dots together and and see? So, So now it's going to be this guy, somebody from his line will perpetually be the ruler, the king, the Messiah for his people. And we get to the end of the genealogy in Matthew 1, and it says, Jacob was the father of Joseph. And Joseph, uh, uh, Joseph, the husband of Mary, uh, was the mother of Jesus, who's called the Messiah. Uh, there's actually something very subtle here. He changes the wording so as to show that Joseph actually wasn't his father. He was his stepfather. But Mary, we find in Luke, her whole line traces back to David's line as well. 
So we've got that. Uh, God had planned all of this out. He planned uh, the place of his birth. The place of his birth, according to Micah, uh, some 700 years before the time of, that Jesus was born. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old and from ancient times. We know now where he's going to be born. It's in Bethlehem. Now, do you remember when uh, the wise men came to worship Jesus? They'd heard, they'd seen his star in the east and known that, that they, the, the ruler, a, a king has been born in Jerusalem. And, and uh, Herod was absolutely freaked out by this. He was, he was uh, so jealous and so wary of anybody who might take his throne. And, and uh, uh, so he calls for the religious leaders and says, now tell me, what did the scriptures say? Where is the Messiah going to be born? And uh, they say, well, according to the prophet, it's Micah 5.2. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. So now we have uh, some, at least some of his identity. We know where he's going to be born. And, um, and beyond that, there's something else that's quite amazing too. It's his virgin birth. So that the prophet Isaiah had said in Isaiah 7, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel, God with us. And uh, so what do we have in Matthew 1? We have that after Joseph had considered, he'd spoken to by the angel, after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll give birth to a son and you'll give him the name Jesus because he'll save his people from their sins. All this took place, what happened? To fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. God had spoken all of this Thousands and hundreds of years before. Now, I don't have time to take you through a whole pile of, of uh, what, what's happening. Uh, let me just give you a little something more. This morning, we had something from Isaiah chapter 9. Again, about 700 years before the time of Christ. And we're finding out how incredibly special and wonderful this person is who was going to take and in coming into the darkness of what was happening in Israel, and especially up in the nor- northern Israel, because when the Assyrian Empire came through, they, that's the first place they went. They walked through there, demolished it, took off captives, and, and in this place of darkness, in this place where, where, where things were awful, uh, this is a place that's going to see the light. And uh, so his identity is kind of, uh, shown to us for unto us a child is born unto us a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and he'll be called wonderful counselor um, wonderful uh, as in awe-inspiring not like wonderful great guy but but something that just that blows you away about this person that was going to be born that's going to bring light even to the gentiles and and, and here he is he is he, he inspires wonder 
People are amazed at him, and he's a counselor. He has this wisdom. He knows what to do, and, and he, he does it in such a way that people are just gobsmacked uh, at his um, miraculous understanding and knowledge in what he does. And then he's called uh, the mighty God, or we, we, we translated the hero God, or this incredibly powerful person that is able to deal with any kind of resistance, and he's in a category of his own. He's, he's a, uh, a hero. He, he's a strong person. He can fulfill whatever he says. And then he has the everlasting father. And, and we have this imagery of a father who loves us, who, who reaches out, has compassion for us, and cares for us, and protects us. He is an everlasting father to us. And he's a prince of peace. In, in a world filled with war and abuse and all of that, he is the prince of peace of the greatness of his government and in peace there will be no end and he'll reign where on David's throne over his kingdom establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever the zeal of the Lord almighty will accomplish this now i could take you through so many passages about um the ministry that Jesus had do you remember when John the Baptist said sent word to Jesus, are you the one or is there somebody else we should be looking for? And he said, quoting from Isaiah uh, 61 and Isaiah, I think it's uh, uh, 35. Uh, he says, uh, tell, tell uh, John that the blind see and the lame walk and that there's good news preached to the poor and there's freedom uh, for the uh, recovery of sight of the blind and the deaf hear and, and the dead are raised. Tell him those things. And he would look back and go, that's the Messiah. That's what he was supposed to be. If we wanted to take time, we could, we could look how Zechariah talks about the coming of Jesus uh, on Palm Sunday when the crowds uh, shouted Hosanna to the highest. If we wanted to know about his death, uh, in, in Isaiah 53 and in, in Zechariah 12, he was pierced through for our transgressions. Even the picture of the kind of death that he would die. He was cut off from the land of the living. He would die. He was buried with the rich in his grave. He was put into a brand new hewn out stone grave for him. All of these things. God had planned each one of these. Now, I got a question for you. How is God able to predict these things so far in advance? How is it that God is able to say, um, he's going to be like this and this and this, and this is going to happen, and he's going to be born here? I mean, what are the chances? There, there's 30, excuse me, 65 predictions of things that are going to be, that Jesus is going to be and do, and when he's going to be and do them, that kind of thing. How is it that all of these events hundreds and thousands of years separated from this can happen with such kind of accuracy. Well, I want to suggest to you that we're talking about the sovereign God, uh, the sovereign event planner. You say, well, what, what, is, what is the sovereignty of God? What does that mean? What, what is that about? Well, it's the absolute right and authority to do whatever he desires, and it also includes possessing the power to be able to enact those things. So 
so God is sovereign. He rules everything, everywhere in the universe. And um, because of who he is, his infinite wisdom and his goodness, he always does the right thing in the right time. Let me give you just a few verses that will help you understand this concept of the sovereignty of God. Uh, in Psalm 115.3, it says, Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. There are a lot of things that I would be pleased to do. There are things that I'd like to do. I can't do them. I don't have, I don't have the ability. I don't have the resources. I don't have the money. I don't have the, the right circumstances. I can't do them. There are things that I want to do. There's nothing that God wants to do that he can't do. He does whatever pleases him. Thank goodness we have a good God. We have a wonderful God. In, in Isaiah 46, verse 10, it says this. God says, I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. I say, my purpose will stand, and I will do all that I please. That's God. And you know, I, sometimes I, I think in our arrogance, in our absolute nonsense, we shake our fist at God as if we have anything that we can do with him. I, I, I love uh, in, in Psalm 2, you know, why do the nations rage and the people imagine a vain thing? What does God do? He laughs in the heavens. He is sovereign. Um, one of the great rulers in the ancient world was uh, the Babylonian ruler uh, uh, Nebuchadnezzar. He got a little high in his horse, so God knocked him off his horse. And for seven years, he, he was like an animal, eating food. His, his nails grew like claws, his hair like, like feathers. And, um, and God restored his sanity to him. And here's what he said. All the peoples of the earth are regarded, uh, regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the people of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? No one. This is God. I, I, you know, I, I love in Proverbs um, 21 and 1, um, the heart of the, can, uh, the, the, the Lord's hand, uh, in the Lord's hand is the king's heart. It's a stream of water and he channels it towards all who please him. It, he does with, he, the, the king, you, you thought that, uh, uh, Donald Trump may think that he's calling the shots. He's not. Um, you know, what happened in our, our uh, election here? Who got in and when? They thought, well, you know, uh, Justin Trudeau got in because he did. No, God put him on that throne. God put him, gave him that responsibility. And so God is able to ensure that what he wants to happen will happen because he not only fashions it in his mind but he can make it uh, make it happen also and, and he has absolute control and that includes things that go beyond our scope in history the question is who killed jesus you remember that question who killed jesus well it was the romans well it was the jews because the jews kind of pushed the romans to do it it was you know who you know who is responsible for that is God. Because it was a part of his plan. Look at what he says in Acts 2, 22 and 23. Peter says, fellow Israelites, listen to this. 
Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited to God, uh, to you, by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to a cross. The whole plan for our salvation contingent upon the death of Jesus and coming. He planned. Who did it? God did it. God ordered. And and in keeping with people's people's wicked desires in their hearts, uh, they were pushing for that. Now listen, it, it goes beyond time. It goes beyond creation. I want you to see what it says in Revelation 13 and 8. All the inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast and all whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life. The Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. What happened? Jesus was slain before the creation ever happened. In what way? It was a fait accompli. God's plan. This was, oh, uh oh, I didn't know the people were going to do that. Now what am I going to do? Oh, man, this is terrible, God. God would say to himself, I, I, I don't know what to do now. Well, I, I've got to do something. No. God had this everything organized and planned out so that it was as, as though Christ was, was crucified even before creation because god has everything in plan there was no oops there was no surprise god's plan was filled out even to the smallest detail god would provide a remedy for our broken world and at christmas everything came together in god's plan it was his timing it was the exact right timing i just want to show you a, a, a couple of things that that I think were instrumental in the time that God chose. You know, it said that he was born of a woman under the law, so he had to be under the law. He had to fulfill everything that the law demanded perfectly, which he did. He was able to be a sacrifice then, um, because being human and being a perfect human, he could offer himself as a sacrifice to pray, to pay for the, the sins uh, of us. And, and it's interesting, in in... He was wanting to bless the whole world. It, it wasn't, this just it wasn't for the Jews. This was for everyone. And, and so the time that the Jews had, they proved that they couldn't and didn't follow God as they should. But God always had a global perspective. He always had a heart for all of God's people. And, and so here's his mission. Here's, here's the timing is fascinating. First, the Greek language was predominant. That means there was a language that the gospel could be shared in that people all around the world would know about. And the, the, uh, the New Testament was written in Greek. Now, it was the Romans who were ruling, but Greek was the, the language of the day. Not only that, there were Jewish synagogues. One, one of the things that really st- stuck out to me in our trip uh, to uh, Turkey or Asia Minor was the number of uh, synagogues around the world. And particularly in Turkey, we saw synagogues that were fabulously big. There was a large Jewish population in many of these places. What did Paul do when when he took the gospel out? Where was the first place he headed? To the synagogue. 
Those were people that he, they were Jews. He could tell them about their Messiah. And uh, many of those would become Christians. Many would be, be uh, against that and turn away from him. But he had a place to start with all of the Jewish diaspora who had spread out around the world. And then there were the Roman roads. You could have travel and get from here to there and, and everywhere. Uh, in, in, it enabled travel for the spread of the gospel. And then there was the uh, Roman peace, the Pax Romana, that g- great degree of, uh, of safety they had in traveling so that they could go from place to place and country to country under the uh, Roman Empire. Those things God all did as the event planner. So... What happens when the, the, the Romans are ruling, but I've chosen a young woman and a young man to take care of my son. But the, the, the scripture says they're, they're to be born in Bethlehem. But they're, they're in Nazareth. They're, they're in the Galilee. They're up in the north. God put the Romans in control. God put the Caesar in control who just happened to say, all right, uh, everybody's got to go to their home place and register for a census. And so here is a young couple in the last trimester of of the pregnancy heading about a 100 kilometer or more journey from, from the north of Israel down to Bethlehem, which is just a stone's throw. Bethlehem, where David's people came from. And so there they were, to be born at the right time in the right place because God is moving um, the pawns on the chessboard to accomplish his will. It's incredible. Um, every detail is fulfilled. And when you go through, well, particularly Matthew's gospel, and this happened that it might be fulfilled, the prophecy might be fulfilled, that the word might be fulfilled because God had a plan and his plan was carried out impeccably. And God not only cares for the macro, he cares for the micro. He cares for you. He cares for me. He he knows, we, we sang that song this morning, he knows my name. He knows everything about me. Before I can even think a thought, he's, he, he knows what I'm going to think. He cares about us in, in a wonderful way. It's interesting he orders the course of our life. You know why? If you're a believer today, you know why you are? Because God enacted a plan to bring you to himself. I was thinking, I was thinking about uh, Gerda and, and her coming to faith in Christ. And uh, she was born into a, a family where they went to church, so there was a God consciousness about, uh, but she doesn't really remember hearing the gospel and there was a family that lived not far away from them. And they would pick her and some of her sisters up and, and take them to a Sunday school or to a daily vacation Bible school program. Why were they neighbors? Because God had a job for them to do. Um, and she would make, as a young girl, she would make a faith commitment, but it wasn't really encouraged. And so it went nowhere until she was in high school her best friend in high school was a Christian who went to our church. And, and so uh, she brought her out to church. And, and through that, she came to know Christ. And uh, we met through that. 
And God put us together and, and, and grew us together. And, and when you think about how you, what was your journey to faith in Christ? Whom did God use? What circumstances were in your life? What, what troubled you? What, what drew you to it? God was working in all of those things. Uh, and, and, and it's incredible. He opened our heart. When, when the Apostle Paul went into um, Europe for the first time, he met with a group of women uh, who were, who were God-fearers down by the river. And Lydia was the first one. And it says that the Lord opened her heart. Remember last week? We said, you, you, you're, you're spiritually dead outside of Christ. You, you're unresponsive to him. He has to do something. And God did something. Opening our eyes, opening our heart, making us receptive. See, that's what God does. Um, and, and in Ephesians 1.4, it says, He chose us in Him, in Christ, before the creation of the world to be blameless in His sight. Before time, He knew me. He called me. It, it says of Jeremiah, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, the Lord said. Before I formed you, I knew you. See, where you are is no accident. God has you placed here. God has people around you. God has circumstances in your life. He, he knows you. He loves you. And he's drawn you in. And, and if you're not yet a believer, I want you to know that he, he's reaching out to you. He's making a way for you to come to him. I, I love what, what Jesus says. His plan in our life. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside of your father's care. We've been uh, feeding the birds lately. And we have like a mass of little birds to our, our house. And, uh, and, and I mean like, and they, that's only reflective of a tiny little bit of what's in our neighborhood or beyond. Two sparrows are worth a, a penny. It's, it's nothing. But not one of them will fall to the ground that you're fa- uh, outside of your father's care. If he does that for those, what do you think he thinks about you? He says, even the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. God knows you. He loves you. Whatever you're going through, whatever's happening in your life that you think God God doesn't know and God doesn't care and God's not aware, God is directing and ordering your steps. And, And he has this incredible promise for us. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. Can I tell you that that, that verse has, has taken us through so many ups and downs in our life to know that in everything, in every circumstances, what, whatever's happening in your life, however bad it is or however good it is, that, that it's not outside of God's control and that God takes all things and works them for the good of those who love him and who've been called according to his purpose. Um, 
our life has not always been easy. There have been ups and downs in our lives. And I remember one time when we really had a very, very difficult situation. And, uh, and you, can, you can say, God, where are you? But God says, you know what, I'm right here. And, and Gerda and I read through the whole scripture out loud together and prayed. And God took and, and showed us as we, as we looked through Holy Scripture that we aren't outside of his control. And, and even if people did nasty things to us, that's still in God's control. And so the, the person that we become, God takes and uses them for good. And sometimes I say, God, God why, why do I have to go through this? I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't understand. But I know this, that God has purpose and plan in it. And he will make you something more beautiful and something more like Christ than you would ever be if you put your trust in him in that verse. Well, there's a guy, um, there's a guy in, the, in the Bible who uh, started off pretty well in life. He was one of the 12 sons of Jacob or Israel. Um, He was from the first child from his favorite wife. Uh, Not a good idea to have 12 kids and have favorites, favorite wives and favorite kids. And uh, Joseph was a favorite. In fact, daddy bought him a coat of many colors. And he's skipping around like, like he was something special. And his brothers couldn't stand him. And at one point, while they were out with the the flocks and herds some distance away, his father said, take some supplies to the boys and go see how they're doing. And he went and did that. And they saw him coming and they said, this is our chance. This is our chance. We'll, We'll take care of this little smart aleck once and for all. So they're planning to kill him. And, uh, and uh, big brother Reuben said, like, well, let's, let's not do that. But they took the opportunity to sell him as a slave to the Midian, Midianites. And uh, they took and sold him into Potiphar's household in Egypt, a captain. And while he was there, uh, and, and probably saying, like, what's up with this, God? My family has turned on me. I'm now in a foreign country. I'm a servant. I'm a slave to somebody. And he just sought to do right by that and to do good. And, and his, uh, his master uh, elevated him in his position. And uh, that, was, that was fine until Potiphar's wife liked the looks of him. And while Potiphar was away, she tried to seduce him and he refused and when, and when Potiphar came home, he, uh, he got an earful from his wife who'd been jilted. And so he, um, he said, that's it, I've, I've had it with this guy. Threw him in jail. He was in jail. And probably saying, I, I didn't do anything to deserve any of this. Like, what, what's going on? This goes on for 13 years. And the people in the jail... Again, he finds favor, and he has some oversight even in the jail. And two of, uh, two of uh, Pharaoh's uh, servants, high, high-ranking servants, were thrown in jail. And he, they, they each had dreams, and he was able to interpret them. 
and, and one was going to die and the other was going to get let out and they did. And he said, remember me when you get out and they forgot about him. And time passes. 13 years. 13 years of this is going on. He said, like, what, what's up with that, God? What are you doing to me? And then when Pharaoh had a dream, he said, his, his servant said, I think I know somebody who may be able to help you with that. And he got out. And he, he was able then to enact a plan that would sh- spare their, their lives uh, because there were going to be seven bad years of famine preceded by seven good years. And uh, what happens is his brothers come down. Dad sends them down to get food because there's no food in Israel, in Canaan. And, and so they come down and he recognizes his brother, but they don't recognize him because he's in these fancy clothes speaking Egyptian and, and he was out of sight, out of mind. And uh, through a number of circumstances, he revealed himself. And they were scared skinny He's going to take revenge on us. He's going, to, he's going to kill us for what we did to him. But he didn't. And, and here's the statement he made. Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. You meant it for good, for evil. You wanted to hurt me. You wanted to get rid of me. God had a plan. God was working his plan. And he made of Joseph a person that he would never have been as that smart aleck kid who was dad's favorite. And he wouldn't, he, 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 God used him to spare the family. The family would come down and would grow in 400 years into a nation. And it was all part of God's plan. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know how you're being hurt. Uh, guys, you can come up now. Uh, I, I don't know what, how, how you feel unfairly treated or things have just gone, just gone south for you. And you're wondering, where is God? And I want you to know that God is still in control and he has a plan not only for those big macro level things, but he knows you. He knows what's going on in your life. He loves you. He cares for you. And he, he reaches out to you. And he wants you to trust him. He wants you to, to hang firm with him. That he will take care of you. Keep your faith and your trust in him. He's working a plan. And it's for your good. And you can't feel. You don't understand that maybe now. You, you don't feel it. Doesn't feel that way. But I can tell you. God is faithful and he will lead you through and we see this incredible event planner who's planning our lives for us let's pray father we thank you so much that you are in control you are that kind of a god that you are sovereign and we are your children you delight in us and you care for us and just as you orchestrated the purpose, your purpose in Jesus' life, so you are in our lives. And I pray that you'd help us to trust your word, to trust your character, to trust your plan for us. And Father, if there are those that haven't yet taken that step, I pray that they would recognize that you love them, that you do have a plan for their life, and that they would turn their lives over to you.
open their heart to you, put their faith and trust in that kind of a God. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.